This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by Affirm Films' Show Me the Father. The creators of War Room and Courageous, the Kendrick Brothers, explore fatherhood through five true stories. Show Me the Father, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested in theaters September 10th. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. Is there a secret code built into math? It's quite a question, but the answer is yes. That secret code is known as fractals, discovered by mathematicians in the 1980s in a structure of infinite complexity and astonishing beauty. Now, they're not made of atoms. They can't be found in the physical universe, except there are also examples of fractals that indeed are in the physical realm. And that's where we get a glimpse into the magnificent and glorious mind of God. We're going to learn a little bit more about this code today with Dr. Jason Lyle. He is a Christian astrophysicist who writes and speaks on science and the defense of the Christian faith and works in full-time apologetics ministry, specializing in biblical science. And today we'll be discussing his latest book, Fractals, The Secret Code of Creation. And Dr. Lyle, it's just great to have you here. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Great. Well, I know looking through your book, and this is the one disadvantage of being on the radio, people need to get a hold of your book just to look at these pictures, because when you look at the pictures, you can say, oh, that's a fractal. But can you explain what a fractal is for people who aren't familiar with the term? Sure. A fractal is a shape that when you zoom in on it, you'll find smaller versions of the overall shape. It's got kind of baby versions built into itself. So they're really remarkable, and some of them turn out to be remarkably beautiful. And so this is a, this book, I, I believe, uh, illustrates the, the majesty of God's creation that's built into numbers. Well, now this is where it gets very interesting, because there is a mathematical component to all this. It's basically a type of mathematical shape. It's very, very complex. But what do we need to know about how it was discovered? Because this is such an unusual sort of thing. Well, mathematicians have been interested for some time in, a, in an aspect of mathematics called chaos. And that's, that's kind of different than the clutter in your apartment. It's what it means <laughs> mathematically is if you, if you have a, a, a very small change in a starting condition, it'll amount to a huge change in the outcome. And there are certain mathematical, um, what we call algorithms, let's reduce something over and over again. You put a number into like a formula and you get a new number as, as an output from that formula. And mathematicians found that with some very simple, simple equations like z squared plus c, very simple, um, if, you, if you start with a c that's, c is one number, z is a different number, and if you, if you run a number through that formula, you get a new output each time, you keep doing that, uh, the results, you can't really predict what the result will be. If you put one, the number one into that formula, you get one result. If you put 1.0001, so that's something that's very close to one, you get a totally different outcome when you put it through this, this formula. And so beginning in the 1980s, uh, mathematicians began playing around with computers because computers can do these calculations very quickly. And they wanted to see if there's a pattern to which numbers uh, when you run them through the formula, they kind of stay small. You know, it only results in small numbers. Mm-hmm. And which numbers get enormous? They, you know, escape to infinity. And what they did is they used computers to make a plot, to kind of make a map of which numbers belong to the set, which numbers remain small when you run them through that formula, and which numbers do not. 
And it turned out the shape itself was, was just remarkable. It was something that nobody was expecting. And the particular uh, equation they were evaluating is called the Mandelbrot set. It's right. Z squared plus C, very simple. But when you make a map of that, you get this remarkable shape. And when you zoom in on this shape, you'll find smaller versions of it. Uh, and when you zoom in on them, you'll find smaller versions of them and so on. It's, it, it's, it's, it has an infinite number of baby versions of itself built into it. And so wow. the, and some of the sections of the shape are just remarkably beautiful. You'll find these beautiful elaborate spirals and tapestry. It looks like a, a work of art. And yet it's built into numbers. It's very remarkable. It is. And so what the, what the book is about is it, it, it's exploring the shape and thinking through the implications of it. So when you're looking at these beautiful pictures, what you're really seeing is a plot. That's basically what That's they right. did. That's bizarre. Yeah, it, it's gorgeous to look at, though. And you mentioned the Mandelbrot set. Exactly what is that? You gave a mathematical definition, but what would entail the Mandelbrot set? What would fit into that p- particular idea uh, when we're looking at the, the fractals? What, what does it mean exactly? Well, the Mandelbrot set is the... the uh, all the numbers that when you put them into that little formula, the result, uh, it, when you do it many, many times, the result stays small. So if you put in the number two, and then you get the number one, and then you get the number zero, and maybe it stays zero after that, it just as a fictitious hypothetical, yeah. then that, would be, that point would belong to the Mandelbrot set. Whereas if you put in a different number, say you put in the number three, and you run it through, and it, it gets bigger and bigger, a thousand, ten thousand, a billion, and so on, then that number does not belong to the Mandelbrot set. And you can see why this uh, branch of mathematics really developed in the 80s, because that's when computers were finally fast enough to be able to do these calculations very quickly. And then they just made a plot of the result. They plotted the the so-called real numbers along the x-axis, and then the so-called imaginary numbers, which are the square root of a negative, on the y-axis. And and, and the computer just, it, it marks the point as black if it does belong to the set, and it gives it a different color if it does not belong to the set. And you can, you can pick whatever color you like if it doesn't belong. Yeah. And the shapes that you see, well, that's what the book's all about. It's, it's about the resulting shape and exploring it. And it's kind of like discovering a new universe, a universe that's made of numbers that has incredible beauty built into it. And I just want to share this universe with people because it's something that was totally unknown to our ancestors, really totally unknown before the 1980s. And it is amazing. Yeah, it really is. I I mean, you also say the intricate shape of the Mandelbrot set is not found in physical nature. You can't see it through a telescope. It's a mathematical graph. So why should it matter to us? Obviously, people who are not necessarily mathematicians wouldn't even be familiar with fractals. But for books like yours, why do they matter? What is the significance of them? Well, it's significant because when we think about what mathematics is, how do we explain the fact that that there is this infinite beauty and complexity built into numbers? And you think, well, where do numbers come from? And they're not something that evolved. I mean, it's not like seven evolved from three over (laughs) millions of years. Uh, Numbers are concepts of quantity. And you say, well, who, who invented numbers? And you might think back, well, did the Egyptians? No, because numbers existed before people. The, yeah. the, 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 the um, paths that the planets follow, their orbits, are expressed by mathematical relationships called Kepler's laws. And although we only discovered that in the 1600s, that was the case before people existed, for a few days anyway. Uh, the planets orbited very happily, according to mathematics. So mathematics is not something that people invented. It's something that people discovered, and it's not something that's made of atoms. It's, it's the conceptual relationships between numbers, 
And so how do, how do we make sense of that? And I would argue that the Christian worldview makes sense of that, because God is responsible for numbers. It's God's mind that is responsible for numbers and the, and the mathematical relationships between them. And because we're made in God's image, God has given us tools to be able to discover some of these relationships through rational reasoning and so on. Since we're made in His image, we can do that. Right. And so what we discover in fractals is we're discovering how God thinks about numbers, and we find that the way God thinks about numbers is absolutely beautiful and mind-blowing. I think you're right about that. What sorts of problems might fractals pose for those who hold to a Darwinian worldview where everything is uh, coming out of chaos? It would seem hard for somebody who held to that perspective to look at fractals and say, eh, it just came out of the goo at one point. Yeah, in fact, they can't account for it that way because uh, evolutionists would say that the complexity of living organisms is something that developed over time as they gradually changed. But as I pointed out earlier, numbers don't change. The number three has always been the number three. Yeah. Number seven did not evolve from three. It's always been seven. And so fractals have an, e- have an eternality to them. They are eternal because they exist in the mind of God. And so the secular worldview cannot make sense of that. The secular worldview can't make sense of things that or eternal, or let alone abstract uh, relationships. How do you make sense of that if you believe that the universe is just matter and energy? How do you make sense of the fact that there are conceptual relationships that have existed before people? That's what laws of math are. They're conceptual relationships, and there's infinite complexity and beauty built into them. I dare say the secularist cannot make sense of that in his worldview. I think you're absolutely right about that. And there's a lot more to dive into. Dr. Jason Lyle is joining us. The name of his book is Fractals, The Secret Code of Creation. We'll come right back to the discussion. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. From Affirm Films comes the Kendrick Brothers' Show Me the Father. The creators of War Room and Courageous take moviegoers on a cinematic journey that invites you to think differently about your earthly father and how you relate to God through five true stories. I'm stunned. He's real. He's really out there. And this is really him. This is really him. Show Me the Father. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. In theater September 10th. More information is available at showmethefathermovie.com. Hi, I'm Kevin Sorbo. I wanted to invite you to offer your full support for the Ministry of Preborn and its leader, Dan Steiner. The team at Preborn is very focused and very successful at saving preborn babies from abortion. Now get ready to write down the phone number and the website so you can join the Preborn team. Join Kevin Sorbo and me, Janet Mefford, as we support Preborn. The mission at Preborn is to supply pregnancy centers throughout America with sonograms. Ultrasounds are a game changer when it comes to saving babies' lives. You see, when an abortion-minded woman sees her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, she's 80% more likely to keep her baby. Your gift of $140 will cover the cost of five ultrasounds. All donations are tax deductible. You can help save a baby's life by donating to Preborn. To donate, call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. 
If you're looking for adventure, serving as a volunteer on the Mercy Ship is an adventure like no other. And you'll be serving on the largest non-governmental hospital ship in the world, providing free care to some of the world's poorest people. Whether it's performing a surgery, cleaning the deck, or transporting a patient to a recovery center, every day you'll be making a difference in the lives of struggling people. Begin your adventure today. Connect with us at mercyships.org. It's an adventure of a lifetime. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, you live long enough and you begin to see all these discoveries that are continuing to be made of God's incredibly complex creation. Dr. Jason Lyle is with us talking about Fractals, the Secret Code of Creation, his latest book. And Dr. Lyle, we were talking a little bit about the Mandelbrot set and these plots that have been made showing the infinite complexity of numbers by using computer technology and showing how God is so complex and so ordered and this poses a difficulty obviously, for those who embrace Darwinianism. But you talk in the Mandelbrot set, going back to that particular concept, you talk in the book about seahorses, you discuss the Elephant Valley. Some of these concepts are a little foreign to a lot of us. What What is the significance of honing in on those particular aspects of the Mandelbrot set? Well, it turns out that when you zoom in on certain areas of the Mandelbrot set, uh, the, the shapes that you get are just remarkably beautiful. And so uh, what I've done in the book is I've, really the first chapter just introduces the basic math behind the Mandelbrot set. It doesn't, you don't have to know anything about math, really, to, to appreciate the book. It's not a, you, know, you don't have to know calculus or anything. It's any junior high student could read this and understand it. Um, but then when you plot the shape, and, and the, the next chapters in the book are just exploring the beauty of the shape. And you find that some of the places that are really pretty are the cusps where one shape kind of attaches onto another. If you zoom in deep into those cusps, you find these remarkable shapes. There's a valley, and it looks like a bunch of seahorses, and they are beautiful because the, the way they're, they spiral and so on. Uh, and it really does look kind of like a seahorse. Yeah. And you can zoom in on that and get even smaller shapes that are – the beauty just continues. You think you're going to run out, and you keep zooming in. You <laughs> keep zooming, it's going to run out, but it never does. It just keeps getting prettier and prettier. And then there's the Valley of the Double Spirals, which is my favorite section of the Mandelbrot set, because it looks a lot like spiral galaxies that I look at in a telescope, but except these ones are infinite. You can zoom in on them, and they keep spiraling forever. Stunningly beautiful. So these are, these are some of the names that mathematicians have given to the, the particularly interesting areas of the Mandelbrot set, Seahorse Valley and Double Spiral Valley. There's Elephant Valley, where it looks like a bunch of elephants trampling, you know, one following after the other, each one balancing like on a circus ball. It's, it's very remarkable to see the shapes that are built into this, this marvelous set. Oh, yeah. Well, you also mentioned multibrots. What are those? Well, I, at some point you have to ask, is this, is this equation, this Mandelbrot equation, is it unique? What happens if we change the formula? And so it turns out if you change the power of Z from Z squared plus Z to Z cubed plus Z, uh, you get different shape. And that's called a multibrot. It's because it's kind of a multiple of the Mandelbrot set. And you can make Z any power, any finite power, and you will get a new, a brand new universe to explore of remarkable shapes that you can zoom in on forever. And any one of them is infinite. So you could spend the rest of your life studying. You pick a Mandelbrot, you know, Z to the, or a multibrot, Z to the fourth power plus Z. You could explore that shape for the rest of your life 
and you would still have only scratched the surface. It's only the tip of the iceberg because it's infinite. Oh, man, it's so amazing. And and this kind of gets back to an important concept that you address in the book when we're talking about fractals not being made of atoms. You can't find them in the physical universe. You also point out right. there are physical fractals, things like snowflakes or things like trees. Explain the difference there. How, how are those things in nature examples of fractals? Well, they, they too, things like snowflakes, when you zoom in on them, you find smaller versions of the overall shape. Uh, certain cloud features, for example. If I, if I showed you a picture of a cloud and you didn't have any context, you wouldn't know if it's like a big cloud or if I've zoomed in on a very small section of a cloud because it looks kind of similar. Right. And so fractal, you can get fractals in the physical world as well. Uh, they're not exactly the same as the Mandelbrot set, but you can, you can get sections of the physical universe that look like sections of the Mandelbrot set, which is remarkable. Although physical fractals are made of atoms, and therefore they're not infinite. Because eventually, you know, if you zoom in eventually on a cloud, you get down to the level of molecules. <laughs> At that point, it's no longer fractal. Sure. So um, physical fractals have a limit. Mathematical ones do not. And so then the, the question then becomes, well, how, how do physical fractals know about these mathematical fractals? Because the mathematical kind that we explore in the first part of the book, they don't exist in the physical universe. The Mandelbrot set does not exist in the physical universe. And yet we find things that resemble sections of the Mandelbrot set in the physical universe, like mm. spiral galaxies, which look very much like the double spirals that you find in the Mandelbrot set. So how is it that the physical world, which is made of atoms, knows about laws of mathematics, hmm. which are not made of atoms. Hmm. And I would argue that the Christian worldview makes sense of that, because the same mind that's responsible for mathematical truths, namely the mind of God, is also responsible for upholding the physical universe. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Yeah. And so from my perspective, it makes sense that the physical universe reflects the thinking of God. That is remarkable. That's such a good insight. So this question you ask further in the book, can any religion except Christianity make sense of fractals? What do people say about that? What do scientists say about that? Or even atheists who might be annoyed by these discoveries of the physical universe actually being in line with what you've discovered, uh, mathematicians have discovered in the 80s about fractals uh, using computer technology. It, how, do they, how do they put make sense of all of it? And, and do they have any other explanation? And is there any other religion that could make sense of it? There really is not, because it's the, it's the Christian religion where God is infinite, he's revealed himself to us so we can know some things about him. Uh, it's, the, it's the Christian system where God upholds the universe by the word of his power, where he's responsible for all truth and so on. Uh, in the secular worldview, you really can't make sense of why it is that the physical universe obeys math, because math is conceptual, but the physical universe is not. It's made of atoms. And so, in fact, uh, there was a physicist, Eugene Wigner, and I actually uh, quote him in the book, he wrote this wonderful article back, I believe, in the 70s. Uh, it's called The Unreasonable Effectiveness of Mathematics in the Natural Sciences. It's a wonderful article written from his apparently non-Christian perspective, where he asks, why is it that the physical universe obeys math? And the conclusion he comes to is that nobody knows. Hmm. He comes to the conclusion that it's, it's a, uh, the, the, uh, the applicability of the laws of mathematics for the formulation of physical laws, he says, quote, is a wonderful gift which we neither understand nor deserve. And I thought, wow. yeah, from the secular worldview, that's about all you can 
It's about all you can do. But from the Christian worldview, it makes perfect sense. Well, and even if you use the term a gift, a gift implies someone gave it to from you. Whom? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, their, their, their you know, etymology betrays them. This is so interesting, though. Now, another physical example of a fractal that you mentioned in the book are mountains. Now, I could see yes. the snowflakes. I could see the trees when you talk about the branches and the limbs getting down to the twigs and how there's a replication there. How do mountains display fractals? Um, what, where does that occur? Well, on, with a mountain, you have basically a bump, right? And, and a lot of times on mountains, you'll have a bump on another bump on another bump. But also when you look at mountains from above, the way they divide into the valleys, uh, you'll find that it'll split into one valley and that splits into two more and that splits into each one of those splits into two more and so on. And so the way they divide uh, basically, it resembles the overall shape. And I think I do have a picture of that in the book yeah. of um, mountaintops. So you can see, the, and uh, as well as uh, river deltas and things like that, the way lightning fragments, it branches and branches into branches and so on. And that resembles various sections of the Mandelbrot set. That is so neat. I'm never going to look at a mountain the same way again after learning about all of this. <laughs> and the cosmos, too, that's another one you include. How does the cosmos yes. demonstrate fractals? Well, spiral galaxies look very similar to the uh, double spirals that you find in the Mandelbrot set. And even when you examine other uh, types of fractals, like the, uh, the sine of Z is another fractal that we explore in this book. And you'll find types of spirals in it that look very much like what are called flocculent galaxies that I'm very familiar with as an astronomer. And so it's, it's remarkable to see these shapes that are built into the abstract world of mathematics, and you find versions of them, not identical, but similar, in the physical universe. And again, that, to me, that makes perfect sense. I, I realize that when, I, when I'm studying mathematics, I'm studying the way God thinks, and it's God's thoughts, it's God's mind that controls nature. And so that's why galaxies look the way that they do. So interesting. How do you use the concept of fractals as a Christian who is working in the world of science and dealing with unbelievers? What kinds of apologetics opportunities does this whole subject open up to people who are coming from a scientific or mathematical background? Oh, I think it's a wonderful, wonderful way to uh, introduce people into the uh, into the Christian worldview and get them thinking about these things, because I, I really don't think there's any secular explanation for fractals. If mathematics were just a human invention, which some people seem to think that it is, well, that, that wouldn't make sense, is that how you can find infinite complexity into something that we made. Yeah. We can't do that because our minds are not infinite. We can't create something that's infinitely complex, but God can. And so it's, it's a way of challenging people to uh, re-examine their worldview, the way they think about things, and consider the Christian worldview and how it makes sense of reality. And I, that's really, honestly, my main goal for the book. It's, the book is beautiful, and I hope that people will sit it out on their coffee table, either as a conversation starter, and, and people will pick it up and, and look at it, because it's gorgeous. The pictures are amazing. Yes. And, and then recognize, you know, when somebody says, you know, who drew these amazing shapes? And you say, well, it, those shapes were not drawn by any human hand. <laughs> those were discovered by mathematicians. Now, now, computers allow us to graph them quickly, but they didn't. computers didn't pr- produce the shape. The shapes are built into numbers. Now, how do you make sense of that? And I'm, I'm hoping people will read through the book. Uh, the book explains how the Christian worldview makes sense of these things and no other, and then it presents the gospel message in the back. So I hope people will pick it up, get interested in this, 
read about Christianity and get saved. Amen. (laughs) Exactly. Amen. And, you know, it just strikes me that the longer we live and the more science has a chance to discover new things, the more it seems to confirm God's word over and over and over again. And that should give us a lot of confidence. If we didn't already have full confidence in God's word, this just, I think, completely makes it more likely and, and more sure and solid that God's word is telling us the truth about who he is, his character and his, as you say, his complex mind, which we'll never be able to fully understand. But we certainly understand what he said about himself. Oh, yes. And although we've always had evidence for the Christian worldview, we've always had irrefutable proof of God. Uh, I feel very blessed to live in the time in which I live, where we can see these these new confirmations that nobody knew about before 1980. How remarkable. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, the name of the book is Fractals, The Secret Code of Creation. And Dr. Jason Lyle's not kidding. These are gorgeous pictures. You're going to want to see these and pick up a copy. Thank you so much, Dr. Lyle. Always good to talk to you. And I really appreciate your being with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you bet. God bless you. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by a firm film, Show Me the Father. The creators of War Room and Courageous, the Kendrick brothers, explore fatherhood through five true stories. Show Me the Father, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested in theaters September 10th. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. This is kind of funny. And going through my phone the other day, I came across a social media meme that I screenshot back in April of 2020, right after the COVID-19 lockdowns. And it was a cartoon of an American politician saying, don't worry, the fascism will stop as soon as there's a vaccine. Kind of funny a year ago, not so funny now, not with President Biden forcing federal employees and contractors to get COVID vaccines or have to go through weekly testing, ordering the Department of Education to help school districts impose mask mandates that have gubernatorial degrees prohibiting them already, and now even urging vaccine mandates at private companies. And don't forget the CDC recommending we all wear masks indoors and also recommending universal indoor masking for teachers and students and staff at K through 12 schools. This is just so insane. When will the American people say enough is enough? Well, you'll have a chance to do it this weekend, this coming Saturday, August 28th. Tea Party Patriots Action is rallying Americans to join in Just Say No events around the country to oppose these un-American medical mandates. It is about time. I'm so encouraged. We're going to find out more now from Tea Party Patriots Action's Bill Pasco. Bill, thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you for having me, Janet. Really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this because you're right. This is um, this idea of, of mandating is it's I'm going to I'm going to use a word that gets overused, but I'm going to use it anyway. It is un-American. Yep. Our Declaration of Independence. We, we believe in liberty. It says so right there in our Declaration of Independence. In fact, we believe uh, we believe that liberty was a right that was granted to us by our Creator. It says so right there. We believe that the purpose of government is to secure that right, not to impose on that right, not to abridge that right. The purpose of it says so right there that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. That's the language of Thomas Jefferson and the men who signed the Declaration of Independence. It, it was their explanation to the world to explain why they were breaking away from the mother country, and it has bound every succeeding generation since. 
the notion that we now have a president who is making it a matter of government policy, not just to abridge that right, but to to rip it up and and try to throw it away is just uh, it's abominable. Is oh, what it, is. it is. Oh, completely well said. But of course, the counter to that is you don't have the right to infect someone with COVID-19. Not a well thought through argument. What do you say to people who now are convinced that that's an intelligent American argument to say your right to infect me means we can mandate a vaccine on you or ankle monitoring on students in Washington state or whatever it happens to be? What? what how did people get this mindset that our liberty has to be infringed because they're scared. Well, you know, uh, we, we started, let, let's keep this in mind, we started with 15 days to stop the spread. Yeah. And then we had to flatten the curve. And now we're, uh, we, we passed 500 days of this, whatever you want to call it, um, a few weeks ago. So we're, we're well into day 500 of stopping the spread and flattening the curve. Um, you know, here's, here's my question. If you're vaccinated, great. I'm happy for you. If you're vaccinated, what are you worried about from people who haven't yet received a vaccine? Right. I understand you might feel sorry for them. You might think they made a bad decision for themselves and they're putting themselves at risk that you chose not to take because you decided to take a different risk. You decided to take a risk of, of taking a vaccine that hadn't been around very long. And, uh, you know, here's one of the things that we learn about vaccines. Vaccines take a long time to develop. How do we know this? Because we're now learning less than a year after the vaccines were introduced that, gosh, they seem to become less efficient at protecting you from the virus as time goes on. Maybe these really weren't the best vaccines that they could bring to market, but that's okay. They were they were dealing with a very serious problem at the time. They wanted to get something that that they thought could protect a large percentage of the population. God love them. We developed these vaccines faster than anybody thought possible. I was one of those who said there's no way in the world they're going to be able to develop vaccines in less than a year. You know, we've been trying since the 1980s to develop a vaccine for HIV. Yeah. We, we still haven't been able to do that yet, for goodness sake. So I thought I thought this was out of the question. But they came through. God love them. Uh, but as to whether or not they have the right to demand, as a condition of my walking around as a free citizen of the United States, Did I let somebody stick something in my arm? No, they don't have the right to do that. I still believe that we have liberty in this country and it's worth fighting for. Oh, I agree. So tell people about what is planned on Saturday. You have a number of rallies I know already scheduled. What's going to happen? What will take place? And and what should people be excited about going out and saying at these rallies, uh, the ones in their area or even creating a rally right in their own area if there isn't one already? Well, that's right, Janet. What they can do is everybody should go. Everybody who's interested, you want to find out if there's a rally near you or you want to you want to host your own rally or it doesn't have to be a rally. It can be a sign-waving event. You can get just a couple of your friends together, go to a big street intersection uh, and, and wave signs and let people know. The, the idea is that this came to us, this bubbled up from the grassroots as so much of, of the Tea Party activity over the last 10, 12 years has. It came from the grassroots originally. Um, and so they can anybody who wants to who wants to get involved on Saturday, go to stopmedicalmandates.org. Stopmedicalmandates.org. And again, I'm not telling you don't take the vaccine. I'm not telling you don't wear a mask. I'm saying government should not impose that on us as a condition of our status as law abiding citizens. Government exactly. doesn't have the right to do that. So all across the country, uh, we've got events going on. Some are large, some are small. 
Um, they're, they're literally all over, and there's even a toolkit there that you can download. If there's nothing going on near you and you and your friends are adamant about this and you want to do something, you can download a toolkit at stopmedicalmandates.org that will walk you through the process. Or you could give us a call at Tea Party Patriots, and we'll help walk you through how to organize your own event. That's, that's what we've been doing since the birth of the Tea Party movement back in 2009. Uh, and I can tell you, Janet, we haven't seen this level of interest at the grassroots level over any issue since the original Tea Party protests um, back in back in the spring and summer of 2009. Good. It's, it's really remarkable. Yes. Well, it's important, I think, because I have heard so many people over the course of the last year and a half say, when are we going to do something? I'm seeing these mass rallies over in Europe, people protesting lockdowns, people protesting vaccine passports and the like. Why aren't Americans doing that? This is exactly why I think what you're doing is so important, but also the dangers. I, I don't know if Americans really understand. You look at what's going on in Australia right now. It's terrifying. They're firing rubber bullets. It's insane. They're not letting people walk around. You see this bill that's been put forward here in the United States wanting to put unvaccinated people on the no-fly list. Biden has floated the idea of not letting you travel from state to state if you're unvaccinated. What is the danger, Bill, if we don't fight back now? Well, I mean, there's there's so many dangers. Let's talk about one, the eviction moratorium. Um, is a byproduct of the pandemic. Yep. What's happening here is, is the left, and, and thank goodness for Rahm Emanuel. You remember Rahm Emanuel, who spent eight years as the mayor of Chicago. Before yes. that, he was the White House chief of staff for Barack Obama. He's the one who famously said, never let a crisis go to waste. <laughs> yes. And what we've seen for the last year and a half is that the left has used this crisis as an opportunity to, to accrete more and more power in, in, in the central government. Uh, so we now have, for instance... An eviction moratorium it has nothing to do with the mandate. It's something that they they hate property owners. These people are leftists. And what's the first line of the Communist Manifesto? What's the very first thing that Marx and Engels talked about? They talked about the abolition of private property. This yeah. is the first step yeah. in taking a capitalist society and making it into a communist society. And I hesitate to use that word because it makes me sound like a right-wing wacko. I know that. But... I looked at this and I'm thinking, there's no other way to describe it properly. This is actually what Marx and Engels were writing about. Yes. They want to take private property out of the hands of property owners and turn it over to the state. And that's exactly what an eviction moratorium does. It's, it, takes, it takes the right to dispose of one's property away from the owner of the property, and it denies him the use of that property to generate rent. And, and keep in mind, these are not faceless soulless corporations we're talking about. 70% of the, of the landowners in this country, the people who own property that they lease out to renters, 70% own less than $400,000 worth of property. 30% own less than $200,000 worth of property. That's a house. That's a guy who saved up his money and as an investment, rather than putting it into the stock market, he decided to buy the duplex next door to him and rent it out to somebody. Yep. And that provides him a couple thousand dollars a month, maybe. I'll tell you what. It's, These are not, there are neighbors. Yeah, exactly right. There's so much to talk about, but I want to refer you to stopmedicalmandates.org on Saturday. If you'd like to get involved in one of these rallies, you can check it out. Bill Pasco from Tea Party Patriots Action. Keep up the good work, Bill. So good to have you here. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. I'd appreciate it. You bet. We'll be back.
ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Raising Godly Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. Your young girl has already gone through a life of incredible transformation. From babbling infant to busy toddler, fearless kid to flourishing teen, these early years have set the foundation for womanhood. It's commonly understood that children who participate in faith-based programming in their youth are more likely to remain engaged Christians in adulthood. According to Barna Research, what we believe at the age of 13 is likely what we will die believing. I challenge you to help plant the seed of strong faith in your young girl long before the age of 13. Encourage your girl to pray over a life verse that tethers her heart to God's. That's a verse that speaks to the heart of her faith and is foundational to her testimony of belief. Want to learn more? Read about empowering girls through the love of God at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, this story kind of says it all. The post-millennial reports about a Washington State high school, Eatonville High School. And there was a mother of a student who plays team sports there at the high school, showing a picture and reporting that her daughter, among other students, is now being required to wear an ankle tracking monitor in order to be in team sports because this will help maintain social distancing among the kids and also aid with contact tracing in the event that there's a positive COVID-19 case, in which case the unvaccinated kids will be quarantined for 14 days, but not the vaccinated kids. No, there's no totalitarianism going on. None whatsoever. They're putting ankle monitors on our kids, at least the ones in Washington State. And I bet it won't end there. I bet it won't end there. Meantime, we have the president of the United States coming out this week and saying this. Go on. Today, I'm calling on more country, more companies, I should say, in the private sector to step up with vaccine requirements that will reach millions more people. If you're a business leader, a nonprofit leader, a state or local leader who has been waiting for full FDA approval to require vaccinations, I call on you now to do that. Require it. Do what I did last month. Require your employees to get vaccinated or face strict requirements. 
Terrific. So he's already cracked down on federal employees. You have to get the vaccine or you're going to have to submit to testing. And the CDC is already talking about masking kids in K through 12 schools. The Biden administration, as we mentioned before, is now backing up these K through 12 schools who want to impose mask mandates on kids, even though the governors there, like in the state of Texas and others, have said, no, we're not doing mask mandates on kids. There, there isn't even data Rochelle Walensky, the doctor, the CDC director, said back in July there's not even the data to back up putting masks on kids in schools. They don't have any evidence whatsoever, according to the CDC director, that the kids are going to get any sicker from the Delta variant than they were from COVID-19. There's virtually no risk. And look, I'm not discounting the fact that there are kids who have caught this disease, and I'm not denying that there have been some kids who have died. But look at the number of kids who've died from flu. Listen, one of the things that's not being discussed, I'll, I'll, I'll mention a couple of things that are not being discussed. I am amazed at the number of Karens out there. And I'm not just talking about online, but I'm talking about in person because I run into these women sometimes. They are absolutely over-the-top hysterical. And sometimes you'll find guys like this. And it isn't based on the fact that they're sitting down late at night on their computers reading the studies. They're not reading the medical data. They're not reading the clinical trials. They're not going to the Lancet. They're not going to any of these medical journals to look at the latest clinical trials, studying the ins and outs and the scientific data on whatever it happens to be related to COVID. They're just plain old freaked out. They're probably spending too much time in front of CNN. And these women, I'm convinced more than anything, it's mothers more than fathers, are freaking out on these schools. My child might get COVID. Right. Your child might get COVID. And overwhelmingly, your child's going to be fine. Do you act like this with the flu? No, you don't act like this with the flu. And I know kids who have died from the flu. And nobody acted like this over the flu. I'm not trying to discount people's fears. But what I'm saying is there is so much actual evidence out there to counter what the government is pushing on us 24-7 and censoring us for even discussing on the Internet. Doesn't that tell you something? That should tell you something. People who have the truth do not have to suppress people who don't want to accept it. They don't because they are confident that the truth about what is real will triumph over the conspiracy theorizing and some of the falsehoods that people are embracing. And that's not what the government is doing. You go back and forth. There's an article, actually, a very good article that ran recently, August 11th in City Journal, and it's entitled Do Masks Work? by Jeffrey Anderson. It's very interesting because he goes through the timeline. When you go back to February of 2020, do you remember Jerome Adams, then the Surgeon General, said, seriously, people, stop buying masks. They are not effective in preventing general public from catching coronavirus. And then he said, folks who don't know how to wear them properly tend to touch their faces a lot and actually can increase the spread of coronavirus. Then you had the WHO, I like to call them that, the World Health Organization, the executive director of the Health Emergencies Program, said there's no specific evidence to suggest that the wearing of masks by the mass population has any particular benefit. This was the narrative. You had Fauci saying that similar things at the time. Then they totally switched it around. What happened? Did the science change? Well, what's interesting to point out from this article that he mentions, and I think very, very you know, intelligently to mention all of this, is that the CDC in switching on the mask data and saying, well, okay, K through 12 students and teachers and everybody has to wear masks. 
they're marshalling evidence to justify this revised mask guidance, but they avoid mentioning randomized controlled trials. These are the ones that are uniformly regarded as the gold standard in medical research, and yet the CDC basically ignores them, apart from disparaging certain ones that particularly contradict the agency's position. So he goes into all of these examples of the RCTs that are showing that there's no reason to put masks on kids in schools. You know, does anybody care about the science? The the actual science, because those who seem to care about the actual science seem to get shut down. It's amazing. Uh, There's one study here uh, talking about the cloth mask group. For example, they're doing these trials on people who wear cloth masks, and they found they were 13 times more likely to develop an influenza-like illness than those in the surgical mask group, which is a statistically significant difference. The trial also lab-tested penetration rates and found that while surgical masks were poor at preventing the penetration of particles, they let 44% of them through. Cloth masks let 97% through. Oh, but mask the kids. Who cares about the kids who went to school last year, masked all year, and came home in tears? Because they were tired of feeling suffocated all day long and they were tired of not being able to see one another's faces. It's, it's cruel what's being done to children. And what do they care? What do they care? And let's look at some of the data on deaths and cases. I thought this was quite interesting. What was quite interesting was if you go to the CDC website, for example, you now have over 170 million people vaccinated and over 200 million have had at least one dose. The last red line of cases, they have these charts where they show the number of cases going up and down over the course of the pandemic. As of August 20th, they report 155,000 new cases. As of August 22nd, two days later, 43,000 cases. That's a big drop in two days. Now, I understand there is lag time in getting accurate data. I understand all that. But if you just take those raw numbers and you look at them, you say, wait a minute, that's a pretty sharp drop in two days. I I just find this amazing. Here's what else is amazing when you look at the CDC website. They talk about reports of death after COVID-19 vaccination are rare. And they say that between December 14th, 2020 and August 16th, 2021, VAERS received 6,789 reports of death among people who received a COVID-19 vaccine. I don't see anybody talking about that. There's also other data, other charts where people can go online and you can read them. For example, the VAERS COVID vaccine data, I'm looking at this, through August 13th. This is reported. So you can't say these people all died from the vaccines, but this is what is reported. 13,068 deaths, 54,142 hospitalizations, 72,699 urgent care visits after people had received a vaccine. Now, I'm not using that as an excuse to say we're not going to have anybody get the vaccine. But when you have alternate information that is giving people pause on whether or not they particularly want or need the vaccine at this time. It's not helpful for the government and its Karens who are on the side screaming and yelling everything out of their mouths that the government says. It's not helpful to, you know, brand the unvaccinated as psychos and losers and dangerous. There was even that high government official 
who was on Twitter a couple of days ago, and somebody made a comment about sending the unvaccinated to Afghanistan on the plane that lands here. And he said, I'm in. Yeah, great. It was like some top official in the NSA or something like that. I don't remember which guy it was. It's just crazy. So the demonization of the unvaccinated continues, but we can't talk about the deaths from the vaccine or the injuries from the vaccine. We can't talk about the fact that we've had an open border for how long now, thanks to your beloved President Biden, who half the time doesn't even know what's going on. You have so many people coming across the border who've had COVID, and now they've even stopped testing them in the state of Texas. And meanwhile, you have breakouts of COVID in some of these small towns in rural Texas. Well, maybe we should look into that perhaps there ought to be some journalism that might be a good idea what's the connection between covid cases coming across the border and whatever happened to contact tracing maybe we should get that washington high school to hand over some of its ankle monitors so we just put them on all the illegal aliens and then we could do a better job making sure that covid doesn't spread in the united states or we could close the border that's a good idea too we've got to leave it there thank you so much for being with us god bless you and we'll see you next time This hour of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Affirm Films' Show Me the Father. The creators of War Room and Courageous, the Kendrick brothers, explore fatherhood through five true stories. Show Me the Father, rated PG, parental guidance suggested in theaters September 10th.